We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to Good crowd tonight here at the stadium. The fans have hung in there to see... See, all the way through the depth chart. Christian Wade breaking tackles to the two-yard line. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Mick Mixon from WSOC Carolina with the call. Mick Mixon. That's the worst name. Like, that's as stage name of a stage name as you can get. I mean, I get it. You're from the South, but Mick Mixon? You're either, with, with a name like that, you are one of three things. You're either, you're either a professional golfer, you're a used car salesman somewhere off the interstate, or you're a mid-tier regional TV network sportscaster. That's it. I, Chris, I don't know if there's a whole lot of career gray area left. Your parents couldn't have done better. Mick Mixon. <laughs> oh, folks, do I have a bone to pick with a lot of you. Buckle in, kids. The offseason is officially killing me. I mean, seriously. I, I know I can't... St- I mean, we've, Chris, we, I've, we've already been heckled on Twitter because we do. How come we keep telling people to calm down? You know why? Because somebody has to. This nonsense, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Between the media and other, the fans, uh, uh, other content producers, the Bills fan base at large, some of you guys make me want to turn up my phone, lay down on the floor next to a case of beer, and refuse to get up again until a meaningful snap of football gets played. Chris, it's, I don't, was it ever this bad before in terms of just, just things about this fan base and this team, and at least the coverage of it, that's unbearable? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure you're, 
with the two plays that we've had from Christian Wade, Christian Wade being on the 53 is talked about literally after two plays. He hasn't done anything but two plays. And they were good, but that does not warrant you a spot on the 53. I wish that was my only bone to pick here, but it's not. It's not even the most glaring. I mean, first of all, Josh Allen wasn't accurate enough to play in the NFL. Last year, according to most people who had a Twitter and a blue check mark, now he's taking shit from those same people because he's, quote-unquote, just taking easy passes. What are we talking about? Chris? PFF had a thing today on Twitter that Josh Allen's the worst starting quarterback in the league. <laughs> Worse than Kyler Murray. The, the Kyler Murray that everyone took the two-knee approach on after week one when he showed up, and then everyone just made excuses for week two after he flatlined. Flatlined against the Raiders. That was embarrassing. <laughs> right? Figure it out. Figure it out, Kyler Murray. Otherwise, it's going to be a long season. But come on. This is just, it's, it's nonsense. And then, okay, I understand if you're a professional writer and your content that you produce pays the bills. It keeps a roof over your head. Maybe buys you a buzz on a Friday night. I do my best. Uh, Chris, we know I can't completely not begrudge these people. But I try to be pragmatic about the people who do what they have to do to get eyeballs on their product. But the endless slews of 53-man roster projections being trumpeted out here by people who aren't, who aren't getting paid to talk about this stuff. I mean, it sounds ridiculous. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Folks, that's me. That's the voice inside my head talking to me every single time I see, oh, click this, look at my 53-man rockster. Who gives a shit? I mean, seriously. They are the non-draft season's version of mock drafts, both in context and pointlessness. I will... Chris, I present you with a list. Filling out comment cards at the grocery store. Taking online surveys to see what kind of lover I am. Writing Yelp reviews for all the strip clubs I've ever visited since I was 18 years old. These are all better usages of my time than putting any kind of thought into Drew Gear's 53 guys I think are going to be on the roster today. I mean, unless there's an injury or a trade or maybe I just don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. And then there's the one that really chapped my ass and started this entire conversation. It was, it was today, and Chris, as I've been quoted many times in the past, I would, if I had had a beer in front of me, I might have tried to chew the neck off the bottle. I see this tweet from a group of people out there quoting a pro football focus analyst's tweet about our defensive end Mike Love that claims he's got an over 80% tackle percentage and proclaiming that the team needs to to put him on the 53-man roster because of this. The man has three tackles. Three. Chris, 80%, like three is 80% of the number five, which means this individual over the course of two preseason games has attempted five tackles and managed 
to, to the Herculean task of making three of them. Oh, we got to have that guy. We got to have that guy in a Bills uniform, baby. Okay, well, he did have a single hit on the quarterback. If some drunken fan were to jump on the field and whiff on a tackle attempt on a player, they would have only a 30% lower tackle percentage than Loves. That's what we're talking about here, Chris. This is the level of absurd the offseason has reached, and I don't remember feeling this much animosity towards everyone around me over it. I don't. It's driving me insane. <sighs> God, I'm glad I have a podcast to get this off my chest. Chris, I'm starting this off in a really negative light. You know what, Chris? Tell me a story. Why don't you cheer me up? Simple. It starts with my Uber on Saturday. It does not get... that. This has had to be the best Uber story I have ever, ever had. I was already in East Aurora to begin with, and I got pinged to pick somebody up. Now, if you, if you live in the South Towns, you know that because the South Towns, there's a lot of hills, it can get foggy. Saturday night in East Aurora, it got real foggy. And so I'm driving to pick the, this person up, and it... If you put it in an, in an like actual address, it'll come to the driver as an actual address. But if you put in like the actual place, then it'll come up as the actual place. And then, so if I know where I'm going, then I'm like, oh, I know exactly where that is. I, you know, it's just an address. I'm given an address. I don't know where this is. Uber tells me the best way to get there is to go across a fucking golf cart path. <laughs> I drove my Mazda on a golf course at about 10.30 at night. Now, the kicker to this is that, you know, I'm driving, I'm, you know, I made the turn, and I'm, you know, heading to the clubhouse to get my scores. Hey, folks, the, the guy canceled the ride while I'm on the golf course. I think my favorite part of this story so far is, now, folks, if you were to look out over a golf course, you're at a wedding, you look out over this picturesque golf course, and you see a vehicle driving on the cart path. If it's a Mercedes, you probably think to yourself, ah, oh, shit, that's probably somebody important. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> we probably should just let this happen because he might be someone important. Not a 2006 Mazda with 250,000 miles on it. You're real close. I'm like 300,000, 300 miles uh, short of that. It's an 08, you asshole. So I, I'm driving to the clubhouse. You know, I'm just getting past the, the ninth tee, and the guy canceled the ride on me. So like, I know he's irritated that it took me a while to get there, but I'm the only driver in the area. So if you're going to call for another Uber. You're on a golf course. You yeah. better be the only driver in the area. Exactly. So if you're going to call another Uber, you're getting me. And sure as shit. Sure as shit, he gets me again, and I'm, at this point, accepting the ride. I'm in the parking lot, and I'm headed to, like, leave the parking lot on the road that I should have came in on. And there's two people. There's a man and a woman from a wedding. Uh, I don't think they were in the wedding. I think they just went to it, and they were standing on the side of the road. And I yelled the guy's name, and so he comes over and leans on my car because I have my window open, and he's just talking to me like he knows me. That's how drunk he is. He's just talking to me like like he knows me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm your Uber. I, I, I'm not kidding. I go, get in the fucking car. And so him and his date, or I don't know if it was a date, or they, to me, they met at the wedding. That's, that's the narrative you're going that's with? That's the narrative okay. that, that I can pick up on. And they're going to Frizzy's. Okay, so, so, so drunk people in the middle of nowhere in East Aurora are requesting a ride from an Uber. To Frizzy's to on Allen. A, what is probably at least a 25-mile ride. 
Yes. Okay. Yes. So they uh, get in my car, both in the back seat, and I have like a one to two minute conversation with them about the wedding, and uh, then I just focus on the ride the rest of the way. I could hear them having a conversation, and as any good driver would look in the rearview mirror, and occasionally I would see them making out. So they're having conversation, make out sesh, and the guy's sitting directly behind me, and his back is completely to like square to uh the door so the rest of his body he's got his leg up uh, across my entire back seat and then probably his uh left foot is you know kind of up near the center console and uh you know i have both of them in my rear view mirror and then all of a sudden this chick's head disappears (laughs) for a, a good three minutes and I like I know what's going I know what's going down. This guy whipped out his pork sword. He's getting it marinated by this broad. <laughs> we're on the one one ninety to the we're on the four hundred to the ninety that this is all this is all happening. I mean, the balls on this guy just just to like say hey and like not even be a gentleman and ask me, hey, is it okay if I get my pork sword marinated here? And she just she just does it. Her head disappears for like three minutes, and then she like pops back up. And I dropped him off at Frizzy's. I gave him five stars. This is a five star ride. It's a five star ride all day. I couldn't. At what, at what point were you uncomfortable? I wasn't comfortable at all. This is perfectly normal to me. Perfectly normal to me. What do you mean normal to you? It's not normal to anybody. It's normal. To, like look. I mean, you've seen me try to talk to women. I'm completely uncomfortable talking to women. And I will generally say something wildly uncomfortable to bring that woman down to my level of uncomfortability. (laughs) So while you think that this is, like, completely uncomfortable, completely comfortable to me. Just getting his pork sword marinated. So so what I'm getting from this story is that because you live in the sewer in terms of your own self-confidence... And just general uncomfortability around other humans. When other people create a situation where anyone else with any kind of, I don't know, self-respect, any kind of, I don't, I don't know. I don't That's know all out the it. window. That you, was all out the window by the time we got on the 400. It doesn't affect you because you live there. No. Holy shit. <laughs> no. And she was good looking. She was good looking blonde, too. They had to have been late 20s, early 30s. God. So I apologize. Whatever, uh, there's a golf course in East Road. I think it's off of Wilshire. Look, I drove on your golf course. My bad. Get over it. Chris, I got to tell you, that's some wild shit right there. I've never heard anything like that before in my life. I know. People drink to that. We do. Cheers, sir. Wow. Folks. Wow. With that, (laughs) I'm certainly in a better mood. Why don't we kick things off here with a Bill's News update? Switching from guns to missiles, folks. Change from our moose head to the Four Mile Brewing Allegheny IPA. This thing is smooth. Oh. Chris, we have reached, I mean, the NFL preseason, it's not, <laughs> you, it's not a secret that this thing is essentially the Oregon Trail. Who the fuck has dysentery? <laughs> if, you look, if, you, if you're looking at what I'm looking at, a lot of people. There's a lot of teams with dysentery. They've run out of meat. They've been robbed twice. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Coaches and players aren't exactly a fan of the preseason. It's not going to surprise anybody, nor should it. Or nor should the fact that, okay, Chris, to this point in the preseason, 
There have been dozens of what I would refer to as upper echelon players that just haven't seen playing time. I mean, there are 12 starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now. That's a third of the league. They have not thrown a single pass in a preseason game. We've already played against two of those teams. And we could be looking at a third one this weekend. Now, obviously, health of your football team is a huge concern. Me, I don't attend preseason games. I give my tickets away to my buddies who have kids. Because in my mind, it's the perfect way to acclimate kids to attending football games and being fans of the Bills without having to worry about some someone drunkenly yelling in front of them after a dozen beers. That, and they're too young to care about the level of play in front of them or the lack of rosterable NFL talent that's on the field by some point in the third quarter. They just don't care. They're just happy to be there. No. Plus, it helps that uh, our last preseason game is at home, so none of the starters are going to play. No. But I watch, and it's hard. I mean, as a fan of the game, I want to see things developing. I want to see how my players are coming along. But like the players and coaches, I realize that the health of the roster is at some point more important than anything else. It's essentially, especially a game that's a really just a more aggressive version of practice. Look at Frank Reich. Andrew Luck hasn't played all preseason, and he just announced today that most of his starters are going to sit this week, which is, what, week three? Traditionally, the dress rehearsal for your starting offense and defense, right? Yeah, but you don't need that. Well, here's the thing. When you look at the numbers right now, there's some logic to this. And despite anybody out there who's grumbling, there is a competitive advantage to benching your players. We're, we're, through two, we're through training camp and two weeks of preseason football. Now, all of this data has been sourced well, based on my research from the data I got from profootballreference.com. I broke it down, Chris. There's approximately 78 players. I figure there's 90 on every team. There's 78 players who are already designated for IR for 2019. That seems small. If I'm going 90 players mm-hmm. times 32 teams, I don't even know what that number is. Okay. But so these are players who aren't coming back. They're gone. Yeah. They're gone. There's at least 27 players still formally designated to pup lists around the NFL. These are guys who can't practice, but they're not on the IR yet. Okay, and, is that is that 27? <clears throat> when you say 27 players, are these all Washington Redskins since their <laughs> training staff is shit? No, surprisingly. And then when you talk about, and here's the stickler, Chris. When you talk about in terms of quote-unquote starters, you know the players who you expect, whether they're actual starters in name or whether they're priority backups, things like you know slot corners who are technically your third cornerback. Players who are scheduled to play significant roles for your team. I went down the entire list of everybody who's any sort of injury designation at this point. There are about 14 of those players who have been placed on season-ending IR. 32 players who, like Tyler Croft of the Buffalo Bills, aren't on IR, but have a very sketchy timetable for when they're actually going to get back in the playing field. And there's about 30 other guys who have the first week or two in the NFL season in question already, and we're not even done with the preseason. So I think of teams like Arizona. They're already thin on the offensive line, and now they've been thinned out with, I think, three or four different injuries to starters. Or the Jets, 
who spent all of their money in the offseason on starters instead of depth. Like, remember how I've talked about how the Bills and Bills and Jets approaches to roster building this offseason with all the capital we had? Yeah, we did it from the inside out, and the Jets did it from the... Inside uh, out, outside in, and we built depth, whereas they went for high-dollar starters, right? Okay. They're already getting injuries to a roster that isn't deep on defense or offense. They don't have a whole lot of depth to speak of. Or teams like Cincinnati, who, I mean, you want to talk about decimated. Murderer's row of injuries, long-term ones, to star-wide receivers, starting tight ends, defensive ends, linebackers. Chris, Jonah Williams out of Alabama was supposed to be the left tackle. He got hurt. Cordy Glenn slides over. Oh, he's injured. Nobody knows if he's going to... Who is starting on that offensive line? So if there's any good news when you look through that lens, the Buffalo Bills have been incredibly lucky so far in terms of injuries. Morse is slowly working his way back, and it seems like he's finally getting reps again, even if he isn't a non-contact jersey. Feliciano stepped in. I mean, he, Chris, he hasn't... I haven't noticed Feliciano subbing in for him. That's a good thing if you're a center. I was going to say, is that a good or a bad thing? If you're a center, especially someone angling for a backup job, and you go out there and I don't notice the fact that you're out there, that's a good thing. Okay? And Knox and Kroom are both starting. I think Kroom's a little bit farther along than Knox, but the guys that we expected to be jockeying for tight end one are getting back to work. Okay? But we're not out of the woods yet. And so... I I genuinely think, Chris, that a lot of this has to do with our offensive line and our play calling. They have done a really competent job of keeping defensive players off of our quarterback. I think it's worth noting here that the starting quarterback, out of everybody who's actually played, the quarterback who's played the most snaps so far in the preseason? Josh Allen. What? (laughs) So knock on wood, burn some sage, fucking bust out the Santeria. While you're at it, as a fan base, we have to recognize the fact that this Bills team is incredibly lucky. You have a real opportunity here. In terms of injuries, we've been lucky. And there is an opportunity here, if you're this coaching staff, to get out of this thing in one piece. I understand that history will tell you that this game needs to be a two and a half quarters worth of action because it's your starters dress rehearsal. But Chris, there's a trend happening right now among some of the most talented teams in the NFL. Some of the best coach teams in the NFL who seem to put a higher priority on just going into the season with a healthy roster versus putting your players out there for another meaningless football game and exposing them to unnecessary snaps. Look at all the shit Adam Gase is taking right now because he left the guy that was supposed to be one of their starting inside linebackers, Avery Williamson. He left him out on the field too long, long after he had taken all the other players off the field. And he tears his ACL and he's done for the year. Good for us. Well, my point is, he's under fire for this, as he should be, because it's a bad call. What Do you need 50 snaps, 30 snaps, 100 snaps? I, you need to know, see enough to know that people get the concepts. That's what this is. If you're a starter, here's how many star, uh, snaps you need in preseason. Zero. Well, and that's my point. There is a trend here, and I'm starting to come around to the logic of it. So this week, folks, this is going to be a testament to whether or not Sean McDermott is 
his staff are married to this old school concept. Chris, Josh Allen does not need to be the most repped quarterback in the NFL come the start of the regular season, does he? No. Who does that benefit? Maybe some of the skill players around him. It's going to be incredibly interesting for me to watch how he handles this as we head into another preseason game. Really interesting. But I would be remiss if we didn't talk about what happened last week, folks. Last week... We saw a game. Yeah, we won. We're on our way to the Super Bowl. Woo! Yeah, if you ask most of Bill's Twitter. Jesus Christ, you people are getting more and more insufferable by the, insufferable by the week. I'm starting to realize what, what exactly it was that drove Bucky Gleason insane. I feel like this is how it starts, Chris. It's like, look at Darth Vader. Darth Vader didn't start out wanting to conquer the galaxy, wanting to crush everybody who stood in front of him. He didn't start out that way. Instead, he was just trying to hook up with Natalie Portman, even though she was like 40 years older than him. But I digress. Our recap of last week's game, the Buffalo Bills played in Carolina, and they came away with a win, 27-14. My stats of the game, Josh Allen, 9 of 11, 102 yards, and a 105 quarterback rating. Panthers third down offense, 2 of 13, 15%. The Bills running backs, 11 targets, 7 receptions, and 94 yards, which is about 8.5 yards per attempt. The Bills tight ends, 3 targets, 2 catches, 47 yards. 15 yards per attempt. Christian Wade, 48 yards per reception. (laughs) And the Buffalo Bills defensive line, 2 passes defended, 3 sacks, 7 total quarterback hits, One tackle for a loss, eight total tackles. The linebackers had 26 of the remaining 53 tackles. Almost a 50-50 split with the secondary. That's where this all starts for me, Chris. The Bills' front seven. The Bills starting in second-string defenses, they were great against Indy last week. And, I mean, I get it. You're playing another backup quarterback in, what was it, Kyle Allen? Yes. Okay. You're playing another backup quarterback instead of a perennial pro bowler. So it's hard to really determine what those offenses would have looked like. But they took care of business as it was put in front of them. You held an NFL team. Chris, they held the Panthers to two conversions on 13 attempts on third down. So that tells me a couple things. First of all, you're forcing third downs. And second of all, you're not giving up the easy ones. They're now pitching a 20% conversion rate for the preseason against opposing offenses. Again, a lot of this has to do with the quarterbacks. You can debate the merits of that. It's vanilla play calling. You're not seeing Andrew Luck. I understand. But it's impressive regardless of what foot level of football you're playing at. It's the pros. Throw in that pick six, multiple pass breakups, solid player out front seven. You're seeing the bones of what could be a much improved Bills unit from last year which, considering how we were last year, is pretty fucking good. Yeah, it'd be excellent to, to be even better. You know, we had the... Kevin Johnson had the pick six. I mean, he's supposed to be a reserve guy, right? You had White mm-hmm. on one side, Wallace on the other. Johnson's going to be back up or in the slot. Trent Murphy's 
playing a lot better now that he's got one year well, that's recovered it. from his ACL. I mean, Chris, we both know and our listeners know by now, when I watch football, my eyes are pretty much glued on the offensive and defensive line in the pocket. That's where my eyes are just fixed. Because that's probably the part of football I know and understand the most. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I don't know, I don't want to call it entranced, but I'm, I'm always just transfixed on it. It's my favorite part of the defense. And it's also a place this offseason where the Bills needed to show the most growth if they were going to take that next step towards being a very good to elite NFL unit. I had a couple takeaways from that. You hit the nail on the head with Trent Murphy. I saw Trent Murphy pull off a spin move against a right tackle who people in Carolina were pissed in Moton. He didn't get he didn't go to the Pro Bowl. And people thought it was a gigantic snub. He is a very solid right tackle. I watched him pull a spin move coming out of a stand-up pass rush set and then parlay that into a successful sack on fourth down. That's it. It ends the drive. Now, I don't know that I saw him play with that kind of speed or fluidity in all of 2018. And it's a good sign because, Chris, I'm becoming cautiously optimistic that the team didn't make a mistake by not signing another defensive end or drafting one high or listening to the same Bills fans who are talking about Mike Love in trading for Jadavian Clowney. I mean, that's a terrible concept. The guy can literally force his way to free agency again after someone trades for him simply by not signing that franchise tag. It's a stupid concept. But either way, I saw stuff out of Trent Murphy in that game that I haven't seen since he's been wearing a Bills uniform. That's exciting. Then coming into the game, one of the things I kept talking about was Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver going up against this really experienced upper echelon interior offensive line with Matt Paradis and Tri Turner on the Carolina what center and guard. Still found a way to be impactful. They had to double-team him the entire time. On almost every snap, Ed Oliver was double-teamed, and he didn't give ground, which let everybody around him take advantage of one-on-one matchups. Do you remember the last time that the Bills successfully did that? It was when Marcel Darius was good, and we had a defensive line known as the cold front. I mean, that was that's how long it's been since we've had one person on the line who can successfully command and still manage a double team. And then it's not even like... He, I think the thing I liked the most, because you didn't see him flash a lot on the stat sheet, which you're not going to, because he's being double teamed by two of the better interior offensive linemen in the NFL. I liked his level of compete, which I know makes me sound like Mike Gundy. Like, I... Chris, do you remember when Mike Gundy, you remember that story about the, I think it was a Utah or Arizona or Nevada, somewhere out there in the Badlands, the jogger who got attacked by the cougar or the mountain lion and he choked it to death? Oh, yeah, I heard about that. And Mike Gundy retweeted the story with just, the, with just one word, compete! <laughs> <laughs> I understand. That's the level of compete that I'm talking about. And I saw a little bit of that in that Oliver. Because you're talking about Matt Paradis. He's a, he's a veteran center in the offense in the NFL to do that job you have to have some nasty to your game right he gave it right back to him I think my favorite was the third down play where he batted down that pass and and knocking his helmet off some of you on the broadcast if you got the Carolina feed with Mick Mixon with Mick Mixon 
might have watched Ron Rivera was living with the officiating crew because once Oliver couldn't get penetration and he felt like they had cheap shotted him, he, he essentially took the helmet right off Paradis's head and then proceeded when he was distracted by his helmet not being on, jumped up and batted down the pass. I like that. Okay, we, I don't need Boy Scouts. What I need is production, and he's giving it to me. I like that. I mean, across the board, the defensive tackle play was fantastic. Not just by their own numbers, but look at the production of the guys around him, Chris. Yarbrough, Murphy, Daryl Johnson, each one of them had a sack. They, they had pressures, they had contacts. And the defensive line as a whole's performance, you saw that have a trickle-down effect on the linebackers. That's how you get three or four players or five players who can, Chris, in a game where the other team is trailing and obviously having to throw the ball. They had to abandon the run pretty early. The linebackers still managed a 50-50 split with the secondary. What that, I mean, Chris, 42 passes to 21 rushes. That was the Carolina offense. So they, they were throwing more than running and our linebackers were still getting involved. That doesn't happen if they're A, not being kept clean so they can flow to the flow to the ball. And also, if we're getting enough pressure to force quick throws. Because then they have to throw it to the more quickly developing routes, which gives your linebackers a chance to converge. Now, I'm sure you'll remember, and a lot of our listeners, my epic rants last season about the Baltimore and San Diego games that we opened up the year with. Because, well, these teams were running up the score that would make you think that Joe Flacco and Philip Rivers, Phillip Rivers were, were playing Zeus, just throwing lightning bolts all over our secondary. You went back and looked at the numbers and saw that all they were doing was throwing in front of our defense and forcing our guys to tackle. Okay? It was death by a thousand paper cuts. Not just there, but in other blowouts over the course of the season. And a lot of those early struggles were fueled by a couple things. A combination of inexperience at linebacker in terms of technique and assignment and a lot of ineffective defensive line play, which resulted in blockers getting to the second level or just not allowing our linebackers to make tackles for modest gains and then giving ball carriers room to operate in space. I'm not going to call the problem fixed, but it's encouraging that through two games when we were forcing teams to get rid of the ball early, there's not a whole lot being generated by any team that's played us yet in terms of yards after the catch. Right? Yeah, because we haven't seen a starting quarterback yet. But also, even with our backups, it's easy to play pitch and catch. Ah, well, everybody's blocked up, and this guy got blocked out of the play. And then you see a Isaiah McKenzie-type play, where we throw a short pass for, it goes 12 yards through the air, and he turns it into a 30-yard gain. We really haven't seen that done to us. No, because we're doing it to them. And I think it speaks to the dis- I think it speaks to the development of the defensive line, helping the rest of the defense thrive. I mean, Chris, I, I hate to say it, I'm cautious because again, this is the preseason, and for all of you out there who want to badger me online about it, go ahead. I'm going to continue telling you to calm down because somebody has to be a voice of reason. I don't know that it should be me. I don't know that I fit the bill to tell anybody else to calm down about anything ever, but I'm doing it now. I'm cautiously optimistic about the Bills' front seven. And then the man who has just been a lightning rod over the course of the last two weeks, Mr. Christian Wade. Another week, another highlight. The guy won't quit. And you could argue this one was probably a little more impressive than his last one. 
he when you watch Christian Wade split that group of tacklers, there's three guys converging on him, and he splits them the way Sidney Crosby would just ice skate through a pack of people and come out the other side with the puck in hockey. You shouldn't be able to do that in football. You shouldn't. And also, you watch as soon as he hits his second gear, his second gear is fast enough that most guys can't, or at least average football players, borderline NFL caliber talent players, can't gear up to keep up with them. Can't, you know, they don't have the skill, like the, the recognition skills to pick out where he's going fast enough to catch him hitting that second gear and he's just gone. He's past him. Yeah, but then they get to him via angles because he's still running to the open field. If he stayed to that sideline, he would have been in the end zone. Well, and this is it, Chris. That is the that, that is the story of Christian Wade this offseason. If there is one to be told, who knows? We've got two more games, so who knows what else he's capable of and what kind of a shot he's actually going to be given if he's going to be put around any of the starters. It was another great play and another part of a great story. I'm not saying that he sh- I, I'm not saying he should be part of the 53. I'm also not saying that I don't think he can play NFL caliber football, at least not anymore. <laughs> I've come back I've come back from that I've come back from that idea. I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. But there are yet again signs that he's still thinking about rugby. If you watch LaShawn McCoy in the opening drive of the game, he catches a pass from Josh Allen. He cuts towards the sideline, and the defender's kind of forced to reach out and try to arm tackle him by the legs. He slips that tackle, continues working towards the sideline, squeezes about, what, eight yards, nine yards on that play? You do that because you're not only limiting contact to yourself, but you're maximizing yardage. So when you look at Wade's play, it's an electric play. It was a big one. You know, it sets up, I think it set up a score. I believe, was that Duke field Williams? Goal. Oh, was it a field goal? Okay. Because they tried to give him to him on the next two plays. I'm sure they to did. To reward him, but. Okay. The problem is what he did during that play flies in the face of what every NFL running back knows and is taught to do in terms of avoiding large groups of people. Chris, it's generally a bad idea. In rugby, when you get tackled, your possession doesn't end. Instead, you cover up the football, your team forms what's called a ruck around you. A couple guys spread their legs, and they take the ball, and they pass it backwards through each other's legs and out the back end. The guy receiving the ball through the ruck can then pitch the ball out to another player or keep it himself and try to run with it. The possession continues when you're tackled in rugby. Ergo, you're not taught, I mean, you're taught to avoid contact if you can get to open space, but it's also taught to you that contact isn't the worst thing in the world. It's, that's just the way it is. That's not the way it is here in the NFL. You should be avoiding three defenders who are all trying to converge on you. You should be cutting to the sideline. You should be trying to find whatever way to maximize your yardage and limit contact to your person that you can. Instead, he runs headfirst into it, which could have not only resulted in a stoppage of play, or Chris... There's now six hands trying to pull the ball out of your possession. As someone who's not very nuanced in carrying the rock at the NFL level, it's a different shaped ball, it's a different size, it's different pressures. There's a way to take it from the quarterback's hand. You got to know how to do that correctly. (laughs) It's It's just there's a lot here that he's doing that, yes, it's working for now. 
But, but guys, conventional wisdom in the NFL is called that for a reason. It's been proven time and time again that there are certain things that you do and do not do in the NFL. So while I understand everybody wants to pull for this guy, I, I'm, I am too. Trust me, I'm in his corner. It would be a great story if this guy can consistently be the guy he's been this preseason. But I'm not going to put money on it. I'm certainly not going to bet one of our probably three to four running back spots on the roster to a guy who still shows that he's thinking a totally different sport against guys who aren't starting caliber players. Yeah, but you'll put a Seagram's on it. Fine. Fine. You already have one. Yeah, well... You're going to have to drink it, too, because he's going to be a non-exempt player on the practice squad. We'll see. The preseason's not over. It's long. We will see. But there is something, and I guess that pass play kind of leads me to talking about this. My bigger takeaway in terms of the offense, running back and tight end involvement in the offense over the last couple weeks. From a schematic standpoint, one of the big takeaways from not just this past game, but the Colts game. Well, let's, let's back up a step. Chris, so far, everything you've seen written and talked about I mean, I know the day after the game happened, the big, the big draw in terms of blogging and podcasting and the local media and the national media, Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley, look how, just look how effortless Josh Allen and Cole Beasley seem to make this you know, short zone passing game work. And I get it. They put it on display early and often in this game, and it's impor- it is important. It's a significant free agent signing showing that he's developing chemistry with Allen. If he wasn't, we would call the signing a failure, right? Yeah. Okay, so I get why that's the big story. But there's another angle to the offense that I haven't seen as much press, and it's the emergence of the tight ends and running backs within the constructs of the Bills' offense, and I guess the level of production that we're getting out of them at this point that we didn't see in the past. Now, both groups have enjoyed some solid production through the first two weeks of the preseason. And that's why I added their statistics to the start of this entire conversation about how the game went. So to help everyone better understand why that's important to the Bills' chances to form a truly dynamic offense, let's compare two offenses in terms of tight end and running back involvement from 2018, the Buffalo Bills and the Los Angeles Rams. You're It sounds crazy. But in reality, the two offenses had a few things in common when you look at the numbers. Chris, in front of you is a chart that I made because you know how much I love to do that. Yep, I see it. Bills and Rams. That's what happens when you work in finance. You just get used to making charts and spreadsheets and graphs because you feel like you got a point to prove. And then ultimately it doesn't end up mattering. But in this sense, I looked at the tight end and running back groups in terms of targets per game receptions per game, and yardage per game over the course of the last season. Now, the Rams, everyone watched that game on Monday Night Football. We're talking, I mean, this is flag football offense that these guys are playing at an NFL level. I get it. Their their wide receiver core is is very talented. There are a lot of things that they do that, no, the Buffalo Bills cannot replicate. But when I look at two position groups, it's funny because the tight end group that we've beaten to death this idea that 2018's tight ends for the Buffalo Bills were just trash. Yeah, Chuck Clay. 
it was just a bad group, and they didn't produce. But when you look at the Rams and the Bills side-by-side side in terms of receptions and yards per game and targets per game, they're almost identical. The Rams finished with 38 yards per game. We finished with 32. Their tight ends caught 3.6 balls per game. Ours caught 3.4. And they finished with five touchdowns, and ours finished with one. I mean, you can blame a lot of that on Chuck Clay and whatever was going on with him last season. If he caught that ball in Miami, it would have been two. It gets more interesting, though, when you look at the running back position. Something that in the both the Colts game with Devin Singletary kind of coming on big, and then in this past game with Christian Wade and LaShawn McCoy and Devin Singletary all getting TJ Yeldon even chipped in with some receptions. When you compare the running back production in the passing game from the Rams to the Bills, tight ends were similar. Rams were similar in targets per game to the Bills. Bills had 5.6, Rams had 6.3. Their running backs caught 4.1 passes per game and ours caught 3.8. So Chris, it seems like we're both trying to do the same thing roughly about the same number of times, correct? Uh, yeah, and the only huge difference here is a the yards per game for running backs. What the, do you see, Chris? Tell I, the people what you Rams see. I see Rams 42.3 yards. And then the Bills, 14.9. Now, when I read that, I'm going to immediately go, well, generally the most common pass play for a running back is a screen pass, and then you're going to need your offensive line to get out in space and block, and we don't have an offensive line in 2018. I think I pretty much saw that. I should be a GM. 30 yards per game less in just throwing the ball to running backs. And here's the kicker. Zero passing touchdowns to running backs compared to five by the Rams over the course of the season. Okay? That right there underscores just how far away from running an effective modern NFL offense the Buffalo Bills were in 2018. And again, it's not for lack of trying. We're trying to do the same thing that offense was doing. We just weren't executing it. We didn't have the right pieces to get the job done. Now think about the accuracy charts that have been thrown at every Bills fan out there when people try to explain why Josh Allen either is or isn't a good quarterback. Regardless of what their narrative is, one thing stands out. His short area accuracy, those intermediate areas, you know, the, what, zero to five yards, zero to eight yards, he throws okay to those. Yes, he did have some plays where he airmailed what should have been a, you know, a wheel route. He just sent it to the front row. Christian Hackenberg style. I get it. But he was fairly consistent in that aspect. We just couldn't get anything done around him. Think about the play, some of the playoff teams from last season, Chris. New England, the Rams, New Orleans, Chicago, Dallas. Each of them had at least one running back in the top 55 of the NFL for receptions. And each one of those guys averaged at least 7.5 yards per reception or better. And all of them had 500 or more yards per receiving on the season. That, Chris, throwing the ball to your running backs, this isn't a new concept. I think New Orleans is probably New Orleans is probably the one that started it. You know, think about the Darren Sproles role in an offense. Yep. Think about how effective he was. The satellite running back, quote unquote. Now, every major offense, every truly successful one you see shades of this the running backs being involved in the passing attack you look at teams who don't have wide receiver cores that are 
overly talented, like Chicago and Dallas. Well, it helps that they had running backs that could each chip in another 600 yards receiving and multiple touchdowns. Okay? They were able to stabilize their offense and lack of wide receiving talent by just letting their running backs get the job done, or at least trusting that they would put them in position to do so. Now, <laughs> imagine what Josh Allen could have done last year with that extra 30 yards per game and five more touchdowns that the Rams got out of their backfield. Oh, yeah, we would have easily been in the Super Bowl. No, but think about how many close games or at least games we would have been in more consistently. Yeah. Okay. We, we could have won another game or two. So with that in mind, I, I look at the numbers the Bills are producing each week in the preseason in terms of targets and attempts to get it to the running backs. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged that they get it, that they understand how important this is if you want to be a modern NFL offense. It's something you can't say about Buffalo Bills offensive coordinators in how long? Uh, Turk Schoner. <laughs> how dare you say this? Say that name on this podcast. I mean, the last guy that we thought was going to revolutionize things was Greg. I have 97 plays for a 60-play game Roman. That's that, that was the last guy that we thought, hey, this guy will come in and revolutionize things. Change the way we play offense. Instead, he's off in, off in uh, Baltimore now getting ready to shock the world with whatever the fuck they try to trot out with Lamar Jackson there. But ultimately, you're seeing shades here through the preseason of this running back group. Finally, we're finally getting to, we're getting with the times. That, more than anything, should have fans encouraged that at least the coaching staff understands this. And it slowly seems like we're getting the pieces in place and that they're feeling out who might be the best fit for that role when the season starts. And then I guess the last thing that I'll say I took away from this game. I know this has been a long recap, Chris, but this game was interesting to me. It really was. I'm going to call it a tale of two trades. If we were like a novel, <laughs> like Dickinson over here. A tale of two trades. Greg Little and Cody Ford. For those of you who follow this podcast, you already know this. And maybe some of the new listeners might have already picked up on, Chris is not the football guy here. What are you talking about? I just explained uh, screen passes to everybody. I'm a fucking genius. <laughs> He's a fan. He's passionate. He, he loves the Bills. But he didn't come into this podcasting endeavor with a, f a truly functional knowledge of the how and why when it comes to football. So imagine the look on my face. When we're watching this game and as it's progressing, you know, we get you know, the starters come off the field, the backups go out there for both teams. I, you know, Chris starts grabbing the remote control and starts replaying plays and pointing out Greg Little's repeated failures to play a tackle at an NFL level. Oh my God, he's got it recorded on his phone. He's playing it for me right now. <laughs> yeah, it's in GIF format. That play... Chris, tweet that out right now. Folks, go to our Twitter and look for the gift that Chris is about to put out. This man is a hilarious boot. And Chris reveled in the fact that he could point it out. And I'm not going to lie. It's Voshan Joseph. Watching him dissect this just failure by an NFL tackle, I, I imagine this is what... A, just look at his feet. See? This is what a bird feels like when it's sitting around the nest and all of a sudden one of its younglings gets up on the edge of the nest and just jumps and somehow doesn't plummet to its death. I mean, you got to feel pretty, pretty fucking proud about that. So, Chris, another cheers to you, sir. All right, yeah, cheers to Eric Turner, not you, for 
<laughs> for teaching you everything you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't have the patience for that. So I, took, I walked away from this, and I started to wonder, how did his performance stack up against that of Cody Ford? I mean, every pundit was trashing Ford over his performance in this game. And it also got me thinking, didn't we draft Cody Ford after the Patriot, uh, Patriots, the Panthers traded up for Greg Little? Exactly. So I did what I do. I got some beer, opened up NFL Game Pass, and sat down last night and watched all of their snaps. I'm going to start this conversation by saying i got to publicly eat some crow. I mean, I've been vocal about the idea that Ford is a right tackle and not a guard. And that the trade-up would look terrible if, it, if he ended up being moved to the inside of the offensive line. I might have been a little overzealous there. But I'll also say that he wasn't as bad at right tackle as some people out there want you to believe. I don't know why. I'm just seeing it for what I see it for. He opens the game, Cody Ford, with a bunch of solid plays. He gets beat inside. The McCoy incompletion was the first one, where you saw him just, the defender crosses his face, and he's lost. And it forces Allen to change the direction of his throw, and it's a throw kind of into McCoy's feet. But he recovers on the next play and opens the hole for McCoy to run for a first down. He had a a lot of, I should say, at least a handful of really positive plays. But his mistakes were massive ones, which is probably what has everybody's hackles up. It's all based around technique, Chris. Twice, he was beat by speed rushers. Backup caliber speed rushers at that. You're talking about some guy named Haynes and Brian Cox Jr., who, like his father, can go fuck himself. These are guys who will not be playing in the NFL on Sundays. At least probably shouldn't be. And if they are, it's only because somebody needs an O2 mask for a hot second. That throw that Allen had to Sweeney, Cox almost killed Josh Allen. He just beat Ford clean off his spot as soon as the snap came. And then later, he loses his grip. One of the things that you heard Cody Ford touted for was this grip strength and how, oh, he's got vice grips for hands and when he gets his hands on you. Bruce Irvin weighs probably 50 to 60 pounds less than Cody Ford, and yet Ford could not keep his hands on him for most of the game. Bruce Irvin just ripped away from him and was, even on plays when he would ride Irvin away from the pocket, he would just break loose of containment and get himself back into the play. So, I'm willing to, to admit Ford's best snaps came when he had a tight end on his shoulder, and he couldn't handle speed rushers by himself. He needed somebody there to chip. But when he had somebody there, things went pretty well, especially in the running game. And when he was on his own in the running game on the edge, they didn't really run behind him, so I don't know what to make of it. So I've got to concede that it's probably a good idea for the 2019 Buffalo Bills, if you're truly trying to put the best five out there on the field, I'm willing to back off my stance that he's a right tackle right now. I think that for his development and for the good of the offensive line in terms of getting the best protection for Josh Allen, it is probably a good idea to put Ty Secchi out there at right tackle and let Ford kind of earn his stripes on the inside of the line. Chris, how many times do I admit when I'm wrong? Not just here, but in life. Uh, depends on how much you had to drink. <laughs> Am I more or less apologetic when I get drunk? Uh, less apologetic, because you just you just want to go die on that hill, <laughs> and you're gonna take all of the beer it's with I, you. 
That's how I end up betting, uh, what, uh, 50 receptions for Robert Foster? Yes. I'm willing to believe you on that. But there's a lens here that makes me feel better, and that's why I'm willing to buy, I'm willing to buy into this line of th- thinking. The idea that Greg Little was taken two picks ahead of him by a team that traded up farther. <laughs> Chris, Greg Little had a shit night. He did. Now, leading into this, we, we know Greg Little because we talked with about him with uh, cover one's, one of Cover One's draft analyst, Russ Brown, and during our 2018 NFL Draft Preview Series this year. And this was his eloquent explanation when it came to why Greg Little fell down draft boards that originally started with him being the number one left tackle. The answer to your question is because he's not very fucking good. That's the question. Like, that's the answer to your question. He, he's, not, he's not good. Like, like I said, the very first thing that you look for in an offensive lineman is hand placement. His hand placement is consistently outside every single time, and he instantly has to go to, like, reset, recover, and, you know, he, he does not look like he's very strong, does not look like he can can do a lot of things, whether it's reach blocking or down blocking, very little control more times than not, and he has very little grip strength, which is key to me. Like, Jawan Taylor has some of the best, the best grip strength in the class, um, and then just when your hand placement is inconsistent and you have mediocre grip strength, I don't see how you can always instantly have to go to recovery mode, and then you can't really recover because you don't have the hand strength to do it. Russ Brown, National Scout, CoverOne.net, from our draft series. I mean, come on. Chris. Russ just, even pre-draft, we didn't know what team he was playing with. Russ <laughs> laid it out. This guy's not good, and he's been showing it, and that's why he was playing into the fourth quarter. This is what I saw in watching his snaps. First of all, he wasn't playing with the starters at all. So, point Cody Ford. He starts the first drive that he's allowed on the football field with a drive-killing holding penalty. He follows it up with a decent series of snaps on the next drive, and then absolutely craters again. He gets beat like a drum on three straight plays by Shaq Lawson, Chris. We know Shaq Lawson isn't a great pass rusher. No. That's why we didn't pick up his fifth-year option. But there's a pl- one play. Okay, first of all, you want to talk about on the ground. There's a play where he goes up against Shaq Lawson and gets driven backwards across the entire offensive formation and ends up where the right tackle should be standing. Ultimately runs into the running back and ends up killing the play. Then there's a play where he gets fooled on what's a... I'm a it looks like a stunt. I mean, you can't really tell from the angle they're doing it. I don't know if it's a twist or a stunt on the inside of the defensive line. But either way, he gets badly fooled on this play that directly leads to Shaq Lawson just coming straight down the pipe. And a defensive tackle putting pressure on the offensive lineman. And he's lucky that it resulted in a roughing the quarterback call. Otherwise, that would be his what? third, second or third terrible play of that, just that quarter. It's, then he goes into the locker room, composes himself, comes out, gets on the field for the, to start the second half, immediately commits a chop block. <laughs> Kills the drive. They, they're forced to punt. And then the last play, I watched it, and I watched it, and I kept replaying it, Chris. 
It's the one you just tweeted out. Go to at Rockpile Report on Twitter if you want to see it. Chris made a GIF image out of it. There's a play where he's driven entirely. I can't, I can't make this stuff up. He's going up against a linebacker, Voshan Joseph. He's not overly big. He's not overly physical. He's just fast because he's a linebacker, not a defensive end. The ball gets snapped. He goes for his kick slide and pass protection. He doesn't just step in a bucket. He steps back, steps in the bucket, slips, almost does a split, and topples over, providing what would be a straight path to the quarterback. A straight line. Chris, I could hear a curly sound effect in the whoop, 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 whoop during that play as I'm trying to watch it. The only way it could have gone worse for him is if he had been wearing roller skates and strapped to an Acme rocket like Wiley Coyote. It was one of the, easily one of the worst offensive line plays I've ever seen with my own two eyes. So the moral of this, I might be disappointed that Cody Ford just doesn't seem cut out at this point in his development to play offensive tackle. I am. And I do concede that if you're trying to keep Josh Allen upright, based on what I saw to Spencer Long and some of the other guys out there, Cody Ford probably is your best starting right guard. So let him play to his strengths where you have a guy like a Ty Inseki. Let him do what he does. Let Ford do what he does. Just go out there and put the best line together you can. But Chris, at least when we traded up to draft an offensive tackle... We got one that looks like he can play NFL football somewhere instead of a drunk version of Jordan Mills. <laughs> ah, man. That game was fun. I had fun watching it. Yeah. I, I got real drunk. I drank a lot of whiskey that night. Well, yeah. Well, and thank God. Was I blitzed when you left, or did you leave before that happened? Uh, you were kind of not paying attention when I caught that uh, Voshan Joseph, Joseph gift. Did I have you, a beer and a whiskey? Open you were like, or? you were at the table with like the pizza and the wings, just like using your long gorilla arms to force feed yourself <laughs> chicken wings. But you know, we do have another game on Friday against the lions. And I know you're going to have your eyes on TJ Hawkinson. Oh my God. Oh, I'm going to have my eyes on a lot of things folks, because we are entering bills preseason week three, the Buffalo bills against the Detroit lions. <sighs> This is it, guys. What should be the quote-unquote dress rehearsal for your offense and defense, which hopefully... I mean, Chris, I don't know. How do you feel? After we talked about it earlier, just the injury trend in the NFL, you're seeing injuries actually decrease to meaningful players, but it's because not a lot of them are playing. How would you play this if you're the Buffalo Bills head coach? I would still give Josh Allen a drive, maybe two. Okay, so you're you're on board with this concept that you don't need three quarters of work at this point. No. Do you remember last year when Sean McVay did not play Gurley and Goff and uh, Woods? Look at Andrew Luck. He's I mean, yeah. Andrew Luck. Frank Reich. He's sitting most of his starters. Almost none of them are going to play. <sighs> it just feels weird playing the Lions again. I mean, I thought we were done with this. You know, when Ralph Wilson passed away, God he bless his soul. Do it for Ralph. God bless his soul. I I thought that we wouldn't have to see any more of the Detroit Lions in the preseason. I mean, I know... <laughs> Chris, there have been some shit shows between us and the Detroit Lions in the preseason. Do you remember the infamous backwards pass of 2015? Yep. 
It was everywhere. Every major news, sports news outlet. The same clip with almost the same question. How do you throw the ball behind you? <laughs> Isn't that a fell quarterback? How do you throw the ball and lose yards? Oh. <laughs> and then, I, I, maybe some of you out there are still sober enough to remember Rex Ryan's infamous 31 to nothing shutout in Detroit, where he actually called and unsuccessfully ran the wishbone formation. The wishbone formation hasn't been involved in the NFL in how many decades, Chris? 50s, 60s. <laughs> he busts out the wishbone. And I'm like, there's no way. This is a fake play design. He's not going to pitch. Oh, you pitched it to the fullback, you ass. Well, there's also the uh, the game. They shut the TV off when that happened. There's also the game when we would there would be the last preseason game when it would be against the Lions, and then we would get carved up by Kellen Moore, and then you throw on GR, and people are like, yeah, I got to get this Kellen Moore kid. He just diced up fourth stringers. No, <laughs> shut up. Never call a sports talk station again. Uh, it's a good thing that they called that annual series quits because it probably actually helped the ratings because people had time to forget how much ass this game was. Well, you're in luck. This game's nationally televised this week. Oh, it's going to be on CBS. It's going to be on CBS. So let's, you know, they made a deal. Everybody should have CBS now. So game's going to be on CBS Friday night, 8 o'clock. Well, as we just outlined, the Bills are in a favorable position when just in terms of health. And it's going to be with fingers crossed and probably watching it through my hands like I did in second grade when I watched Friday the 13th for the first time. That's how I'm going to be watching Friday night. Here's, here's what I'm going to be looking for. First of all, fuck TJ Hawkinson. That kid hasn't done shit. Mind you, he hasn't gotten to play with Matt Stafford because he's one of the 12 quarterbacks that just hasn't taken the field. And the coach pretty much waffled every time he was asked whether or not uh, Matt Stafford was going to see snaps. Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing for him? Stafford? Yeah. No. You know how often he throws the ball every season? Take a break. Sit down. Rest your arm for the regular season when it fucking matters. Well, here's some things that I do care about. The wide receiver depth battle. They're, Chris, again, part of the thing that makes me want... Chris, I hear the things like you just talked about WGR callers. I feel like even though I don't listen to WGR anymore... Twitter and Facebook have replaced them in terms of things. I now, after listening to all of the nonsense that gets put out there, or at least has been in the last month or two, I understand why when you read a when you read an article and it starts out, local man bites another man in the ear. I feel like I can almost see where he's coming from without even having to read the context. It's like you know what I felt that. I understand you. I get what I, I get what you're going through, sir. There's this narrative floating around right now that Zay Jones isn't a lock to make the roster based on his lack of snaps last week and lack of production in the preseason. I have three things to say to you if you're in that camp. One, Zay is a cost-controlled asset and was our best wide receiver last year. Even if that doesn't mean much, he was still the best wide receiver on our team. He is a positive run blocker in the wide receiver position which nobody can undervalue. I, I th- when I think of this, I think of a guy named Robert Woods. He was never a standout wide receiver for the Bills. 
I know. He's gone out to the Rams and he's become probably their most consistent receiver. But that's in a completely different scheme. When he was here, he was our primary run-blocking wide receiver. And when he left, there was a notable decline in our ability to run in the middle of the field because you had wide receiving talent in the slot position that just could not run block at the same level. You can say the same thing for Zay in that same manner. And then he's got positional versatility, which everyone knows this staff has a boner for. You don't believe me? Listen to Brian Dable. Get it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, I'd say uh, Zay, Zay knows all the positions. So, um, you know, just when John didn't play last game, we moved Zay and just picked him up and moved him to another spot. It's not a spot that he practiced a whole bunch in, uh, but that's good flexibility to have um, as a young receiver too, which he's still a young player. Um, I think those older guys are good for him in the room. Um, they offer good advice, uh, good experience. Uh, they're good technicians. So he's, I think he's, you know, you'd have to ask him, but I think he's learned a lot from those guys. Brian Dable from his most recent press conference on buffalobills.com. So for those of you out there pounding the table with this concept that, well, Zay Jones, he, we could cut him and put in who, you're drinking the Kool-Aid on wide receivers that have never proven anything at an NFL level. From going with guys who met, not only guys who I've watched do things in the NFL, but I've also watched this player grow from one season to the next, and I've heard the coaching staff say a lot of favorable things, things that they've said about similar guys who they kept around. This guy isn't going anywhere. So all of you can close the book on it right now. Chris, Seagram's bet. Zay Jones. I will drink a Seagram's if he's cut. With I'm just throwing this into the ether. That's how confident I am that it's not happening. It's not. So you're just throwing We're up. up into two. We'll make it two. A pair of Seagram's. So you're just saying I'll drink a Seagram's if this happens. If they cut Zay Jones, that's how confident I'm, I am that it's not going to happen. Yeah, he's not going to get cut. Absolutely not. So then, when you look at the makeup of that position, Brown, he hasn't really played a ton this preseason, which is probably a good thing. Cole Beasley, we've gotten to see him in spurts. It seems like him and Allen are developing a rapport, but they're both free agents. They're not. We just signed them. We're not. They're not going anywhere. We've made an investment in these guys. Then you've got Robert Foster, who, despite everybody's disdain for the kid, long-term cost-controlled asset who's proven he can make a play or two here and there. There's value to that. Zay Jones, Andre Roberts. Okay, He's flashed as a punt returner just here in the preseason. He's not going anywhere. So you're talking about one to maybe two jobs left. This is the game. This is, this is the game where you're going to see guys... There's a dogfight here for what is probably one to two spots at the, uh, the depth chart at wide receiver. And it's a three-horse race by my call. Duke Williams, Isaiah McKenzie, and Ray Ray McLeod. Chris, what did I say about these lesser thans? These fucking, the, the David Sills of the world. I told you they couldn't hang. Where have they been? If we're going to do a Seagram's anywhere, it should be here. Because if, if, if it really comes down to one spot... And you had to choose between Duke Williams, Isaiah McKenzie, and Ray Ray McLeod. I feel like we should do just a Seagram's bet because it's going to go to one spot for these three people. It seems like. I mean, you look at each of their skill sets. That would be hard to pick. I mean, it's hard to handicap that. 
McKenzie has had a few explosive plays. He's illustrated the fact that if you get him the ball in space, he's fast enough to make something happen with it. Duke Williams had a decent game when he finally got extended reps. You know, they said last week they wanted to showcase McLeod and Williams, and that's why they both got a lot of extra work. That's why Zay Jones only saw one snap. And you saw Duke Williams respond with a touchdown catch from uh, Matt, Matt Barkley. And McLeod, he's been mentioned by not just Brian Dable and McDermott, but was also recently talked about just this past week by special teams coach Farwell in terms of having not just offensive acumen, but also fantastic special teams utility. Chris, what do you do? Each one of these guys is a different animal, and it just comes down to what do you think your wide receiver core still needs? I think they would need Duke Williams because he's got size. That's true. He's got the size that nobody else out of this three-horse race has. You talk about McKenzie, he's got that kind of explosiveness. But we watched him just whiff on the ball. How many times last season? A lot. He spent a lot of time on the cart, too. And I think McKenzie... McKenzie might actually have set a Bills record for the guy carted off the field the most times within a single game, but still coming back. Yeah. Chris, he was carted off in multiple games, and I'm like, all right, well, that's it. There's McKenzie. Now our wide receiver depth shot. And then a couple plays later, I drunkenly look at the TV, and I go, holy shit, who just, is that McKenzie? Where did he come from? And you look at me and go, no, no, they brought him back out. You just. I feel like his skill set is similar to... To Wolverines, that he can just get pummeled, get hurt, and then they give him 20 minutes and he just comes back with that adamantium skeleton of his? Well, I was going to say his skill set seems relatively similar to Andre Roberts. Like he could be used in a punt return, kick return. But I also see that in McLeod, too. And to your point of the experience, then I would keep McLeod over McKenzie. And and this is it. This, This... Tit-for-tat battle. I mean, it's going to be... This is one of the things I'm watching coming into this game because this might be the last piece of the puzzle in terms of who's going to be catching passes this year in a Bills uniform. I'm calling Duke Williams on the roster right now. Is that it? If you want to Seagram's. Ray Ray McLeod. Let's go. All right. Seagram's right there. All right. Yes. We got some... Got some action here. I like it. And if they both get cut, we both drink. (laughs) I'll take that. Then the interior offensive line rotation and how they perform. Okay, It's already been announced that Mitch Morse isn't going to play on Friday. So I suspect that means we're going to see at least a few. Whenever Josh Allen's on the field, you're going to see John Feliciano at center. He has done a really good job in relief, which I did not expect coming into the preseason. I assumed by nature of experience that Spencer Long was going to have the inside track there, and that has not panned out. So that leaves a handful of players at the interior, uh, interior of the offensive line jockeying for position, which becomes more complicated if Cody Ford, as we just got done t- talking about, truly is the best candidate to start at right guard in 2019. You'd have to suspect that given the pedigree, Spencer Long has the inside track there, right, Chris? Yeah, sounds about right. So that means that there's players like Russ Bodine, Wyatt Teller, and a bunch of third stringers clawing for one opening. Does Teller still have practice squad? I believe so, yes. All right. And for I mean, Teller he had seven on... starts last year, so I still think that's under the threshold to get into the practice squad. Call in if you know the answer, but I think... If you... <laughs> Call in if you know... I, I believe if Teller... 
If Teller can be on the practice squad, put him there. I don't. Bodeker and Bodine, get out of my city. Well, and that's it. I mean, I here's the thing. This is a group of men who know that their livelihood is on the line. I want to see some fight out of these people. I want to see Spencer. I want to see Spencer Long hold these guys off. When he comes in as a reserve, I want to see him show me that he deserves to be the backup right guard. Show me that you're so much better than these depth options that we have. Because, Chris, last year we were atrocious in the offensive line. Do you remember that Cincinnati game? Do you remember the Cincinnati game? Yep, we had our uh, fantasy football draft that day. I went over to my buddies early just to watch the starters. And then it was a fucking massacre. Yeah, turn it, turn it off. And I it didn't change when our backups came in. It That's, got worse. It got worse. These guys are fighting for jobs. And I want to see that we have the depth at the interior offensive line that we think we do. Go out there and handle your shit, okay? Go out there, prove that you, okay, our starters are in place. Go out there and fight for those backup jobs as if you actually give a shit about them. I'm looking to see some intensity out of that group. And I want to see if the cream really, you know, when the cream rises to the top, who it is. Because as much as I'd like to think it's Spencer Long, maybe it's a Wyatt Teller. Maybe he comes out and has two really solid performances and at least makes the staff think about it. Whatever happens, it better not be Russ Bodine. That guy can suck an egg. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do to myself and anybody else around me if he makes the final 53. And then I think the final thing I'll be watching, so I'm going to stick with the trenches because that's my bread and butter. I mean, you personally, you want to hear other analysis. There's other podcasts out there. I'm not going to talk about things that I don't ultimately know. I'm not going to sit here and give you some diatribe about how our safeties looked. I don't know. I don't know secondary play. I kind of do. I get it. I get the mechanics of it. But this is what I love, watching hat-on-a-hat football. I want to see our defensive line go up against what is a vulnerable offensive line. The 2018 Bills finished 26th in sacks, in a large part because Sean McDermott's defensive scheme is predicated on getting your pass rush done with four. Most of the time, you have four rushers on your defensive line. Occasionally, you throw in a linebacker, but your defense is made to be hard to throw on because your linebackers are out playing what are ultimately complicated zone concepts. We sucked because our defensive ends and tackles didn't generate any pressure. Coming into this season, based on what we've seen, they, they're, they're threatening us with turning the corner into something dangerous there. When I look at how the Lions have done throughout this preseason along the offensive line in terms of pass protection, the Patriots' defense had nine sacks the first week. And the pressure came from everywhere. Linebackers, defensive backs, defensive tackles had sacks. I think Gerard Mayo took off the headset from the sideline, got out on the field, and he got one for himself too. That's how bad it was. Then last week, the Texans finished with two sacks and four quarterback hits in a game where the Texans were without J.J. Watt, without Jadavian Clowney, and with the last of their pass rushers, Whitney Merciless, playing just a handful of snaps. And even then, Merciless had a sack and a strip sack fumble. <laughs> Just a handful. The defensive ends should, if we're to believe that the defensive line is ready to just take a step forward, go out, play well, put pressure on from the outside. I want to see it from start to finish in this game. I do. 
force a lot of negative plays the same way every other front seven from last year's playoff teams. Go out there and prove that you can do that. And then look at uh, Ed Oliver. This for him is a game, I guess, I mean, if starters don't play in week four, Chris, this is a chance for him to end the preseason with an exclamation point. The past two weeks, he's had to go up against sophomore phenom Quentin Nelson for the Colts. Veteran pro bowlers, Matt Paradis and Tri Turner over there for the Panthers. Those guys aren't going to give up a whole lot to a rookie who's still trying to find his way in the NFL. This week, he's got a matchup going up against Graham Glasgow and Kenny Wiggins. Hello, I've never heard of you before. Exactly! I want to see, after facing some really stiff competition for two weeks, and now that he's got some real NFL-caliber competition under his belt, where Oliver stands when it comes to playing against more mediocre competition. And if he can start flashing that penetration and the disruption, the Chris, that's the reason he was the number nine pick in the draft. I want to see it. I'm hungry for it. Well, I'm going to see it. I'm going to see you watch that. I'm going to go find out why there was a number eight pick in the draft. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be interesting folks. There's a lot of different philosophies at stake here. There's a lot of, there's a lot up for grabs. It's yep. going to be, ultimately, it's going to be an interesting time. We're going to come back here next week and dissect it. Hopefully next week we can get in our Miami preview because this week, uh, Travis Wingfield, now star of ESPN, and uh, what was it? Folks, playing softball. Travis, softball in school. Travis Wingfield of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. i got to tell you, I'm, I'm infinitely proud of this guy because as a guy who went to school for journalism and then just pivoted to a different career that was far more lucrative. Wingfield is actually following, following through with it. When we met him, Chris, we couldn't keep up with all the freelance jobs that he was taking. No, and when we, when we got our hands on him to come on our show every season, he had like... A different... He had like one to... Well, A, he had one to 2,000 follows on Twitter. Now he's up over 10,000. But here's the thing. He's dominating Dolphins Twitter and podcasting Not just do- and dominating writing. Dolphins Twitter and podcasting. Folks, for those of you familiar with Tony Kornheiser... Tony Kornheiser has a podcast about sports, obviously. He worked at ESPN. It seems that, I mean, it would be weird if he was talking about finance or something like that or about checkers yeah. <laughs> or his rock collection. He has a sports podcast. The Locked on Dolphins podcast actually has been ranked above that in downloads, according to Apple and the iTunes store, for weeks. That's an incredible accomplishment for a guy who literally started doing what we're doing, Chris. Exactly. It's, it's I'm just proud of the guy. Now we just got to hope that he can take time out of his busy schedule looking like uh, Josh Rosen doppelganger <laughs> and join us for a show. Yeah. Looks so like, looks hopefully like, next week we'll have that for you. Looks like Josh Rosen if Josh Rosen had no chin. <laughs> so hopefully we'll have that next week for you as well as analysis and reaction to, to tonight's game or this week's game. Jesus, Chris. Beer. I know. You should stop drinking it. <laughs> Not uh, a chance. Yeah, we're only a couple weeks away from the uh, start of the regular season, which week one, where are we going to be, fatty? That's right. Batavia Downs. Guys, Thurman Thomas's tailgate party at 34 Russia, Batavia Downs. We're going to be there with the guys from Rock Sports Network helping guest host this event. Thurman himself is going to be there. Okay, There's going to be drinking food specials. Swag, all kinds of giveaways. Uh, I think there's a 50-50 going around. 
There's a donkey, I think. I, th- I think I saw that somewhere in the literature. Dan Barello's going to be there. Oh, there's the donkey. Ah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> We're going to be broadcasting live on Rock Sports Network pregame, at halftime, and during the postgame, including an interview with Thurman Thomas himself. Do you guys think I should ask him where his helmet went? Ask him if he knows yet. Where did that helmet go? Still convinced Harry Connick Jr. has it. <laughs> so I don't listen to his music. You guys should all come out to Batavia Downs. Come have a drink with the old boy Drew Gear and Chris Krueger. Come on out. Come on out. Yeah, if you want to watch Drew flip out in public, <laughs> come on down. Come on, it's going to be a great time. We're all going to get liquored up in public. We're going to watch some football, maybe overreact. It'll be a great time. Come on out to Batavia Downs. Or if you can't make it, follow us online over at Rock Sports Network on Facebook. We'll put a link in the description of the show. Guys, it's been fun this preseason, and somehow we're still alive without catastrophe. Knock on wood that it continues. We will see you next week, but right now we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.